Well, you guys are blessed. You have an amazing worship team. It's such a, yeah, you know, what I have found is um, where the presence of God is, it, it's almost like it's a fragrance that you recognize. Uh, right, when you go to, to order something at a specific store that you usually love to order food in, and you go to a different country and they've got the same shop, and you go and order the exact same thing, many times you get it and you're like, oh, I'm so disappointed. It didn't taste at all like our local one. But man, the presence and the Spirit of God is so sweet. And when you experience the presence, and, and it's like He's the same everywhere. That's what I love about him. It's like he's not different in China and he's not different in India. It's like he's, he's the same and good tasting everywhere. So, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful that this church moves with God's spirit. It's the best way to move. Um, Joel um, and Jamie, we love them. Um, I, I want to tell you, we've been blessed so many times um, at um, Life Church. Um, they've spoken into our church's life. They've spoken into our lives. And you guys are a blessed body to have leaders that want to follow God's directing. Uh, you guys are blessed in having them. And, and I don't always think that the churches realize um, how much, um, I want to say, there's a weight on pastors. These last two years have probably been the, the weightiest time um, I have seen in church I've been in ministry now for 27 years, um, long time. The church where I came from in South Africa, we had six services on a Sunday, and we had an average between 10 to 15,000 people per service. We had 500 parking attendants. We had 1,000 pastors on staff. We appointed every week one new one. Um, our, our pastor's meeting was 1,000 pastors. The auditorium sat 15,000 people. So our pastor's meeting was a church gathering, which was amazing. Um, but, but what I found, um, and just staying connected with all these pastors across the world now, and, and friends and, and, uh, that are pastors, uh, this has been a weighty time. And to see how you guys navigated through the last two years, and not only come out on the other side saying, man, whew, we survived. But man, we thrived. That's awesome. That is amazing. That's God. That is. And, and that is a leader following God's directing. Uh, there are many churches that have closed down. There are many churches closing down. In Ladner, where we live in our little city, um, little town, uh, there's, there's uh, quite a few churches there. And unfortunately, many, many of them just sat back and thought everything's going to be normal. And I'm so thankful that God placed on our heart six weeks before COVID hit. I sat down with my, my worship, my associate pastor, and I said to him, you know what? We need to buy cameras. We need to buy lights. I just feel God said we need to be ready to be full on, ready online. I give you six weeks. He bought everything, got everything ready. Six weeks later, the week before COVID hit, it said we're going to test run everything this Sunday to make sure that we can go online immediately. Uh, the next week, COVID hit worldwide and everything was shut down. And God's goodness placed us ahead. We didn't take a step back. Our church is growing. Um, it's grown. We had more convictions. Um, conversions, not convictions. <laughs> Listen, my first language is Afrikaans, so you're going to have some, you're going to hear some different words today that you might not be used to. So we had more conversions and baptisms during the last two years than we've had in the 10 years prior 
to the church's existence. That's God. So um, allow me to introduce, my, I'm going to introduce myself to you so you can kind of know where I come from um, and who we are as a family. But before I do that, I want to, I want to give you the theme, uh, the, the title for this morning's message, because I want it to simmer. Uh, I want it to kind of sit on the inside, and I want you to think about it. I had to, to clear this with Joel before the time, because I said, listen, after I say this, don't come on stage and drag me off. Give me to the end, like give me some time. So, 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 are you good? Nobody's going to walk out. Nobody's going to tune out. Everybody's good. Okay. So, so, give me time. Here we go. Okay. So, so the title is, God is unfair. Okay. So, I want you to think about the question now. The question that I want you to think about is, is God fair? Okay. So, let that sit right there. Okay. So, so, um, I come from South Africa. Um, Moved to Canada when I was 30 years old um, with my wife. We had no kids at that point in time. Um, and, uh, man, it's been an amazing time for us, just following God's directing. I've been married for 20 years. I have the most amazing wife in the world. Um, I want to show off my family. I have three kids. That's us in a beautiful black and white sepia background. Um, I want to show you. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, Wow. That's good looking. So, 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 so this is us outside. Um, the next picture. That's us outside in the sunlight. <laughs> I just want to make sure I haven't lost you yet. Everybody's still with me. Okay, good. Beautiful family, though. And that's us just having fun. So my, my kids are 16. My son is 16. My daughter is 14. My youngest is seven. Um, they are amazing kids. Absolutely love them. Um, and I'm so thankful. I, I, I love those people. I, I really do. Um, as a family, we love serving God. We love God. We, we love the privilege to, to share His Word. And, and as I said, being in ministry now for 27 years and working in the church, I can tell you out of first-hand experience, that I've seen a lot of things, and I've experienced a lot of things in people's lives, in our own lives also. And based on that, I can unequivocally say that God is unfair. Allow me to prove my point. So there's a saying in church, you guys almost said it earlier. Uh, the saying is, God is good, and then usually the church would say, yeah, <laughs> you lifers, I love it. And then I would say, all the time. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so let's try that again. God is good. All the time. Yeah, see, even though we say that, we say that, and maybe you believe that. In my experience with people and listening to people in the world, friends and family members that, that don't believe in God, the biggest question that they they have is they go, hmm, maybe God is good, but I don't know if God's fair. I don't know if He's fair. For example, we all know some good people. <laughs> How many of you know good people? Raise your hand because you might be sitting next to somebody you know. Okay, good. It's good. So, so, so we all know some good people. You know some good people, right? I know some really, I know some great people that have had hard times. Great people that 
Man, some of the suffering that they've experienced in their life is, is like, it seems so unfair. Abraham, father of our faith, said this, Should not the judge of the world judge fairly? And he's not saying that to say, hey, you're the judge of the world, you're doing a great job. He was questioning God, saying, God, should you not judge the world fairly? Moses said this, God, why don't you treat your people as they deserve? Meaning, you ought to treat your people better. Moses, okay. Jeremiah, another good one. He said, why do the wicked prosper? It's not fair. That bad people are getting richer. It's not fair that good people are not. It's not fair that, that bad people... Why do they get more control? Why are governments that are not following God getting more control than they've had before? Why are the wicked leading the world? Why is this happening? That's not fair. Why do children starve to death? Why? God, why do you, and so many developing countries, why, why are there diseases that I know we can cure? We've got the medicine for it, but we can't get it to them, and people are dying from sickness and disease. Maybe closer questions to home is, God, why, why did I lose my job? Maybe... Um, God, why did you allow the abuse that I experienced in my life? God, why did she die from breast cancer? God, why? Why are they brain tumors? My dad just recently passed away from a brain tumor. God, why are they suicides? My brother passed away two years ago from a suicide. It's unfair. They're good people. Maybe. Why can't I conceive a child? Why can't I find a husband? God, it's not fair. And these are questions that we have. And we go, God, are you fair? And I believe so many people really want to say, yeah, I believe God is good. I believe God is in control, but we struggle with this, even answering it to our friends and our family members. We struggle to answer the question of God's fairness. So because there are all these bad things out there in the world, many of us are forced to just give a nod as an answer, going, yeah, I, I can't answer that. And I do think for the church and the time that we are going through and the friends and the family members and the people that you have in your life, I do feel this should be an answer to a question that we should have as a body because coming out of this pandemic now, there are going to be a lot of people that feel like there's a lot of unfairness that has happened in this world and the church is supposed to look different and answer differently. So why do bad things happen to us? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why, why are there unfair things happening to all of us? I'll answer that question in a few moments. Let me tell you how I got to Canada. In 2004, my wife and I, Ermery, Ermery was an actress in South Africa. She was 
um, on a lot of TV shows in the country. I was a recording artist with EMI um, International. I was signed with Simon Cowell. Um, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 2000 and, uh, well, in 1999, and I toured the country and I did music um, for most of my life. Um, so in 2004, I just finished the tour um, and we wanted to do something completely opposite of what we just did, which was sunshine. We decided we wanted to go to Whistler, we wanted to go on a ski vacation, which was, which was a really good plan. And then a friend of mine who lived in Vancouver said to me, hey, why don't you come and visit us, stay one night with us. Um, book your trip in such a way, sing in our church the morning, um, and, and then from there you can go on to Whistler. I said, sure, it's no problem. So we flew into Seattle, drove across the border, arrived in Vancouver, sang in the church the morning. After the service, the pastor asked me, hey, you guys want to go for lunch? Lunch sounds great, just saying. Use it, don't use it. It's up to you. Yeah, here we go. So, 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 so we went for lunch, and, uh, um, and it's not just me and my wife. They had like 12 board members. It's like this big table. I think, yes, there's a lot of people going for lunch. Um, and we sat down, and he said, so, Andreas, tell me, why do you want to be the worship pastor in our church? I'm like, mm. I said, I said, yeah, I said, the what? He said, the worship pastor. I said, I, I don't. I honestly don't. He said, but why did you submit your resume and why did you sing this morning? And I'm like, uh. So my friend that invited me, he used to be my agent. <laughs> yeah, in South Africa. So he submitted my resume on my behalf, did the job application on my behalf, and me singing in the church was an actual um, audition <laughs> to see if I can become the worship pastor in the church. So, so, so I said to the pastor and to the board, would you have just give me and my wife just a moment? Let, let us, we've always said, it, even though I, at that point in time, I, only, I sang in every pub, club, and stuff you can think of in the country. I wasn't really singing in church, but we never left God. And I said to my wife, listen, we've always said God leads us. He, he opens the doors. He closes the doors. He directs our steps. We don't want to be where he's not. I want to be where he is. Um, and if this is God telling us that, that he's, he wants us to do something, let's be open to it. So, so we went through the whole process. We did the whole interview, um, and we stayed for the week, never got to Whistler. This church had a little bit of a, uh, a unity problem in the church. The, the one uh, group of the search committee did not trust... Uh, or the one part of the church did not trust the search committee, so they formed their own search committee. So there were two search committees that we were dealing with at that point in time from interview to interview. Um, came to the next Sunday, led worship the next Sunday. Now, just a, a little something which I realized. In South Africa, the Baptist church is the charismatic church. What I discovered is, in Vancouver, the Baptist church is not the charismatic church. So I'm leading worship. I'm prophesying over people. I'm calling people up to come pray for, for healing. Um, and everybody's looking at me like, whoa, <laughs> this is a little strange. Um, so anyway, I did the worship service. And afterwards, I, the pastor invited us again. We sat down. I said, thank you so much for coming out. You know, it was so amazing. You've got such an incredible energy. But it's a little bit too much for us. 
And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm saying to Irma, what is that about? It makes no sense. Like we said, God, if you opening up the doors for us, we'll walk through them. So, so what's going on? So, so we got in the car, and um, we have to drive back to Seattle. And something, I experienced the God moment, um, which uh, I've, had a f- I've had it a few times in my life, which I can describe. We crossed the border into Seattle, and as we just went through the border agency service thing, it felt like God reached into my heart and, and he, he squeezed it. And then I started crying in the car uncontrollably. It's like tears ago. And my wife is like, it's okay. There'll be other opportunities. She's <laughs> like, don't worry. You know, we'll get through this. It's going to be good. And I said to her, I can't explain this. I've got this pain in my heart for a people I don't know, for a place I've got not, I've, I don't even know the Vancouver anything else. All I saw was Tawasin, um, and, and I've got this compassion for a people that I feel like I'm leaving behind. I feel that God is telling us to come back. Okay, back to the question, is God fair? Why do so many unfair things happen to us in our lives? I'm going to continue on with the story in a little bit, and, and I, w- I want to show you how unfair our God is. See, from what I've discovered in the 27 years reading through the Bible, working with people in ministry, um, working through people, especially with, with marriages, with children, with deathbeds, standing next to the deathbed um, of people, I've, I've discovered that there are three main reasons that I feel, and not just from what I feel, what I know, why unfair and bad things are happening to us. The first reason is is a very easy one to, to kind of vocalize. We live in a broken world. The world that we live in is broken. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the world became broken. And because the world is broken, there are consequences for a broken world. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, in this world, the one that we're living in, you will have trouble. You, you will have pain. You will have hard times. You will have difficulty. You will have things that you don't like. How many of you have things in your life that you don't like? Yeah. Things that, you, things that are unfair. Outcomes that, that you don't unexpected. It's not fair the way the outcome, what happened, it's not fair. So it's part of this world that we're living in. But Jesus also continues on with that scripture when he says, in this world you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart, for I have overcome this world. Right? So so, so we do have that promise. The, The second reason why unfair and bad things happen to us. And this doesn't bring me joy to say this, but this is a reality. Many of the problems that we are facing and that we have in our lives, we brought on ourselves. It's our decisions. We are the accumulation of all the decisions that we've made in our lives. Where we are right now For the biggest part of it, it's decisions that you have made. The wrong relationship that you chose. (laughs) Young people, if there's young people here, people who are singles, listen, the Bible is very clear regarding this. Do not be unequally yoked. 
The reason he's saying that is not just so that you can find somebody who's a Christian also. It is because when you are unequally yoked, it is the hardest relationship to navigate in this world when two people are constantly moving in different directions. It, it's a hard thing to do when you choose the wrong person. So, so make sure that you choose well. All the single ladies, raise your hands. Guys, I'm doing you a favor. There you go. Thank you. Okay, now you know. Here we go. The choices you make, right? The amounts you drink. The drugs you, you've used, using, think of using. The money you spent that you don't have. Because what, was, what does that do? Brings anxiety, stress, fear. Right? It's accumulation of choices that we're making. The health choices that you are making or not making. Black is slimming. <laughs> use it, don't use it. <laughs> Unforgiveness. Choosing to walk with unforgiveness. You know, it says it's like a cancer. Unforgiveness, it, it, like it, it, it weighs you down, but it's a choice that you are making. And it's unfair to blame God for our decisions. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that very nature, he reaps destruction. We can choose to sow differently. So why do bad things happen? Things that you feel unfair, two things. Remember the first one, victim of a broken world. Second one, your choices. Third one, there is an enemy. There is an enemy. And what does he want to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. See, we see this in the life of Job. Job is an incredible book in the Bible. It is the most uh, misused book in the Bible also. The one that is the most inaccurately preached across the world is the book of Job. People don't get Job. Job is an incredible book. If you understand what Job is about, especially like Paul says, consider the end of Job. You have to consider the end of Job. Don't get stuck just what's happening in the beginning. But, but let's look at, at Job. So there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, there is, there's a big difference between perfect and blameless. We only have one who's ever been perfect or will be perfect. Jesus Christ. Job was not perfect. He was blameless. Verse 2, and, then, uh, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, that's a lot, 3,000 camels, that is a lot. Come on, did, did you just see in Arabia that they just have, they have camel beauty contests <laughs> where the winner wins $100 million. And then the camels, the guys who brings them in, they actually put Botox into the camel's lips to make them look better. That's just a story I made up. Um, but it is a good one, though. Take a moment. Here we go. Okay, so 3,000 camels, 
500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And the reason they count the females is because you only need one male. Um, you can do the math. And then a very large household. Very large households and lots of servants, people working for him. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. He was like the Time Magazine. He was like the Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos. He was the guy in the East. He, he was blessed. This guy was blessed. And, and so what happens is the enemy comes to God and says to, to God, listen, I, I want to go after your man, Job. So Satan answers the Lord and says, now, now listen to this. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. This is the enemy standing in front of God, accusing God for blessing Job. I love this. It is your fault, God, that that man is blessed. You know what I love about this and what I so hope that the church catches on to? The enemy is less confused about where blessing comes from than many of us are. <laughs> it's like in front of God, it's your fault. You are the reason that he is blessed. Listen. Do you get that? So, so Satan is less confused about blessing than what we are. And it says in verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, now, um, um, behold, look. Um, it, it's such an interesting word. It's, like, it's almost like a continual um, um, present tense of something that happened in the past. So I, I have my doctorate in ancient Aramaic. So I love Hebrew and Aramaic. It's like the language that I study. And this word specifically means like something happened in the past and I want you to look back towards that. This is not look right now. I'm giving him to you. This is look. It's already happened. Meaning Job has something in his life that has opened up a door for you. This is not I'm, look, I'm giving him into your hands right now. There, there's been many theologians that have said that, and they are absolutely 100% incorrect in their statements. Thinking that God was persuaded by the enemy so that he can touch one of his sons. God, the enemy, Satan, will never persuade God ever, ever, on anything that's evil or bad. God cannot be persuaded by an enemy. So, so Satan didn't convince him to allow him. God said, look, he's already in your hands, but you don't touch that person. Don't touch the man. So why do, do good people suffer? And we see in Job's life, man, tragedies happen. The one tragedy after the next happened. And what's so interesting in Job, and this is where many people get confused, none of them said, so Satan brought thunder. So Satan brought robbers. So Satan brought fire. So Satan brought an earthquake. But we have to know within context, the conversation that he just had with God was, I am going to attack everything he has. 
So we know it was the enemy that brought those things. Satan used robbers, lightning, earthquakes, storms, tragedy, pain, suffering, confusion, division. He brought division between friends that were close. Can you see the same tactics in our life today? Don't be confused about where it comes from. This is not acts of God. These are acts of an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, now th this part is, is what, what, what really gets me sometimes. In Job 2 verse 1, it says, and, and you know the scripture, the Lord gave and the Lord have taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know that song? Give and take away. You give and take away. Everybody sing. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. No. <laughs> Completely inaccurate. God gave. God gave. The enemy stole. God is the answer. He's not the problem. So back to the question, is God fair? It's a question that's been asked throughout the ages. It's a question that's throughout the Bible. So Ermi and I, we're in the car towards Seattle, and I said to her, I feel that like God's calling us back into Canada. She said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. As sure as I've ever been about something, I know this is what we have to do. Fly back to South Africa, sit down with our families, tell them that God's calling us to go, go to Canada. They said, oh, did you get the job? Because we told them. I said, no. Um, said, so what are you going to do? I said, what God told me is just go and serve the people. Go to the church where, where, um, where you were. Just go and serve the people. Go and sit in their foyer every day. And I would sit there and I would do whatever Whatever it needs to be. Drive people to hospital. I would um, go to, to home groups. I would cook meals. I even picked berries, blueberries in the fields with, with the Sikhs um, working in the fields because I, I had such a desire to share, share the gospel and the good news that I would walk with them. Four o'clock in the morning, you get there in the mud, and the hardest work I've ever done was picking pickles. Um, the guy told me, he said, so, so this farmer tells me, um, you have to go pick cucumbers. And I'm like, okay, cucumbers, like how much? He said 150 pounds. I'm thinking, okay, cucumbers, 150 pounds. Uh, how many cucumbers can that be? That can't be too hard. <laughs> so in South Africa, cucumber. <laughs> in Vancouver, pickle. <laughs> Hardest work I've ever done in my life. Anyway, so, so what happened is, so now I'm flying back. Ermery still has a, a TV contract that she had to finish in South Africa. So she only came six months later. So I'm flying back 1st of April, 2005, flying back into Seattle. Now, while we were in Vancouver, we saw a lawyer was part of the process regarding our immigration. How, do I, how can I work here? And, and, and they said, so all you need is a visitor's visa. And he said, the visa that you have is sufficient. Um, if you just stay with this, no problem. You don't need another one. Going, okay, that's great. Um, so flying back to, into Seattle, because it was cheaper to fly to Seattle, uh, got a rental car, showed up at the border, give my passport to them. 
the guy looks at my passport, takes one of those pink slips, writes on the slip, um, tells me I have to go into the office, the space there. So, so I go into the office, um, and they say, take everything out of the car that you got with you. Now I'm moving to Canada, so I have one suitcase and my golf clubs. Um, all you need to relocate. Um, so I'm standing at the counter, and the lady comes with my passport, and she said, so, um, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to Canada. She said, uh, where's your visa? I'm going, oh, yeah, it's right there. It's right in the passport. And she said, no, no, th this visa expired. Um, this visa doesn't count because if you leave the continent, the single entry visa is a single entry visa. You can't come in again. It's an expired visa. I said to her, that's impossible. She said, you can't go into Canada. I said, that's impossible. She said, what do you mean it's impossible? I said, because God called me. <laughs> she said, who? <laughs> I said, God called me to come serve the people of Canada. She said, serve them where? I said, I'm going to go to a church. Oh, did you get a job at a church? No. <laughs> I was still hurting a little bit. <laughs> I said, no, no, I did not get the job. She said, um, so you don't have a job? I said, no. So she said, so what are you going to do? I said, whatever it takes. God said, just come and serve the people of Canada. That's all I want you to do. Come and serve the people. She said, so, so um, uh, you just, uh, just explain to me what the process is. I said, well, you know, I, I, don't, I can't tell you. I know when I went out of the border, I cried for the people that I'm leaving behind. And I'm coming back in again because this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and God called me to come serve the people of Canada. I have to go there. And she says, give me a moment. And she walks to the back and, and she talks to a guy and he kind of, <laughs> That's one of those, kind of sticks his head out on the side, looking at me. And I want to tell you, I had 100% confidence. I did not doubt for a moment that I'm not going in. I had no doubt. So she's there at the back busy, and, and, and she comes back, and she gives my passport to me, and she gives me this, this form, um, like a... a Blue form, and it's very it likes a nice official document. She says, okay, take this. You can go in. Um, go see a lawyer just regarding um, just your immigration status. Make sure that you go see somebody as soon as possible. I said, good, no problem. So I go in. Thank you. Oh, thank you. you know, and, I, and I just drive in as if it was nothing. Um, two days later, I get to see a lawyer, and I sit down with the lawyer, and, and he said to me, so how did you get in? Because he knew I only had the visitor's visa. I said to him, they gave me this form. And he said, you know, I've been working for 35 years in immigration. This is my expertise. He said, I've never had the privilege to hold one of these. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's called an elephant visa. He said, the government only gives it out when a country is in a state of emergency and they can't do without the person who's supposed to come in. Yeah. That's my God. That's my God. See, the Bible calls that grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. It's not because, because I did anything to anybody there that I deserved to get that. That's God's grace. Uh, let me explain grace, justice, and mercy. I'm sure that, that you all have preached on this many times, but I think I can do it better. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there was a whole lot of humility in that. <laughs> Sorry. 
No, I'm sure you guys know grace and mercy and justice. But, but, but here's just, just to get us somewhere. God's justice, God's justice is getting what we deserve. That's justice, right? He's the judge of the world. He's going to judge the world. And those who haven't accepted Christ, unfortunately, the punishment is eternal separation from God. That's God's justice. God's mercy is not getting what we deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve to be punished for our sins. God's mercy is we are not punished for our sins because Jesus was punished on our behalf. God's not light on sin. He was extremely heavy on it. And he poured it out all on his son. And the mercy is that we don't have to to bear that punishment anymore. Now God's grace. God's grace is getting what we don't deserve. What we don't deserve. But in a good way. It's not the unfair kind of, oh, I didn't deserve that. God's grace is getting what we don't deserve. It is unmerited favor. It is unearned blessing. What don't we deserve? We don't deserve favor. We don't deserve blessing. It's unearned. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 1 verse 6. He said, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us. That word there, lavished, oh, it is such a beautiful word. God's grace was lavished upon us. It is, God is lavishing grace. I'm going to try and explain it. It is, it's, it's like it's out of control. If, if you want to break the word down, it is luxurious. It is extravagant. It is jaw-dropping, eye-popping, head-shaking, breathtaking. That's the lavishing of grace that God has poured on us. It's, un- it's like spine-tingling. I call it um, uh, chicken bumps. You know, have you ever plucked a chicken? Huh? You don't, what do you call it? No, it's completely different. I've plucked, I've plucked goose, geese, and I've plucked chickens. Chickens are way more accurate. And I'm telling you. But that thing on your skin, it is, it is driving, it's being in God's presence. And it's like, it, it goes from the, the tippy toe of, of your, your head From the top of your head to the tippy toes of your feet. It kind of, it runs through you. It's like it goes, oh, that's God's grace. God's grace doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. By the standards of the world, they would go, there's no reason for you to be so favored. See, but not everyone responds to God's grace that way. Uh, there's this incredible parable about a landowner. It's Matthew 20, if you want to go read it. It's one of the best explanations of understanding God's grace that I have found in the Bible. How much time do we have? Sorry, I don't even know. What, what time do we finish? Okay, so I'm going to skip all of that then. So. <laughs> 
No, I have to, I, I have to get somewhere. But, but there's this incredible parable uh, about laborers that's in the field and the land over the highest of the high in that community. They were the wealthy ones. Um, and they go to the day laborers, the lowest of the low, people who had to work every single day to put food on their table. The landowner goes, goes at 6 a.m. and he goes at 9 a.m. and he goes at 12 p.m. and he goes at 3 and he goes at 5. Now, but when he gets to 5 to, to get the laborers, you have to understand the ones left at 5 were the least desirable people in society. They, they were the lowest of the low. They were the scum. They were the ones that nobody wanted. They, they were the criminals. They were the dirty ones. They were the broken ones. They were, were in today's language, they were the addicts. They, they, they were the, 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 the bad person that nobody wants to associate with. And this landowner still goes back. And, he, and what's amazing is they get the same reward as those that went in and worked 12 hours. Man, that's incredible grace. It seems unfair. It seems unfair. And the guys who worked the 12 hours the whole day, they complained to Jesus about this. Because they were thinking, listen, if I'm working 12 hours, if, if the one who worked one hour gets a denarius, which is the day's labor, usually you get one denarius for the whole day. If they get a full denarius, man, we work 12 hours. We deserve 12 we don't, we don't deserve to get the same as they got. That's not fair. And in the world standard, they would go, that's completely unfair. In the world we live in today, even more so. But Jesus goes on in the passage and he says, When they received their denarius, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour. And they said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. Some of the late workers, I want to say this again, they, they were was some of the worst people in society. People who didn't deserve grace. Here's the thing about grace. It violates our sense of justice. It violates it. It disturbs our balance. It's disruptive. When we see grace in people's lives, it's almost like we feel like the rules have changed for them. Man, I have had so many rule-changing experiences personally in following God that I can't name them. So thankful for our church. We, we've had so many rule-breaking experiences where God's favor and grace has poured out on our church. It was rule-breaking. It's not the standard. Because His grace is not fair. His grace is not fair. It's way too much for way too little. Philip Yancey wrote this. I love this statement. He said, grace has about it the scent of a scandal. Oh, I love that. It's like, it's like that should be a scandal. But yet God did Something like you, how can you cover that person? How can you look after that? How can you, how can your blood protect him? Do you know what he's done? Grace disrupts our sense of justice and fairness, it violates our sense of justice completely. And many struggle believe in a God like that. That's our God. So Back to the story about it. So that's how I came. Now, now I want to tell you how Irmery came to Canada. 
It's amazing. Like, oh, God, it's so good. So um, I was here for three, mo- three months, flew back home um, because Umri was still in South Africa. She was only coming after six months. So I had a three We had like a um, – Anjo was made in South Africa, born in Canada. Um, <laughs> so I know it's detail that you don't want, but you're getting it. Okay. <laughs> so – so now I'm flying back. I've got my elephant visa. I'm good to go. She has to come back. Now we've sold our home. We've sold our business. We've sold our cars. She's living with her parents. She's got no, nothing left in the country at all. Um, and um, she has to go get a visa. And she's supposed, she's not getting a visa. It's not coming. And she's supposed to fly out at 8 o'clock that evening. So she goes to the Canadian embassy in Pretoria. Now, in South Africa, on the streets, there's a tremendous amount of car theft. So on every street, there are car guards. They have to watch your car. So she parks a car. She's late for the appointment. She jumps out, slams the door, um, runs in to get to the appointment. Sat, sits down with the person who's doing the interview, and he says to her, listen, um, where's your husband? No, he's in Canada. Oh, does he have work there? No. Um, uh, what is he doing? <laughs> he's serving God. Um, and, uh, do you have any property or anything left in South Africa? He said, no. He said, well, it sounds to me like you're not coming back. And she goes, yeah. well, it sounds right. <laughs> he said, but I can't give you a visitor's visa if you're not coming back, if you don't own anything. She said, but my husband's there. Um, I have to go there. And I'm three months pregnant. I have to go there. And the guy said, I'm so sorry. I can't give you your visa. So she walks out of the office. Now she has to fly at 8. This is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, she calls me, and she's crying, and she's like, oh, I didn't get the visa. I can't fly out. They say, I can't come and join you. Um, either you come back um, for us to be together, or you have to stay there on your own. And she's crying, and she's sad. And then when she gets to a car, she realized that she locked her keys in the car. So now it's another step, right? So now it's from, oh, I didn't get my visa to, oh, my, my keys are locked in my car. I can't get home. I can't even get to my parents or do anything. My keys are locked in the car. I said to her, okay, so just call the, the car guard that, that watches the cars. They're usually the ones that break into the cars also. Um, <laughs> seriously, that's how it works. I said, he probably has one of those sticks that can just open up the, and you can get into the car. So she said, okay, she'll do that. She'll call me once she's in the car. So she goes and finds a car guard and eventually he agrees. And after about 10 minutes, he agrees, okay, he'll open the window. So he pulls out the stick, <laughs> unlocks the vehicle. And now she's in the car and she closes the door and she starts, turns the key and she calls me while she's sitting there. Now she's still crying. She says, okay, I'm in the car. What do we do? I said to her, listen. God's grace over our lives, when we follow his directing, he'll make a way. He'll make a way. Next moment, somebody knocks on the window. And I'm on the phone. She rolls the window down, and it's the guy that was inside. He said, you know what? I was sitting inside thinking, you should go to Canada. And I said, if you are still outside, when I go outside... I know it's God's plan. Now, I want you to see how God works. It's unfair. God has been so unfair in our lives. It's unfair to see how He's blessed our family, 
how He's blessed our ministry. And it's not, it's not about, uh, I don't want you to think that this is about us and about me. Uh, in our church, I'm so thankful. We've had so many events. I had a man from the street come into the church um, with a tumor on his leg, the bottom part of his leg, as big as my hand. And, and his leg was going to be amputated four weeks from that day. And I said, well, can I pray for your leg? And he said, yes, you can pray for my leg. And I put my hand on, his, on, his, on, on the tumor. And I started praying. Man, I felt this incredible heat in my hand. And I'm like, I'm praying. And I'm looking at him. And I said, oh, are you feeling that? And he said, yeah, it's like burning. I said, yeah, my hand also. But then what happened was I finished praying and it was still there. And I'm like, what was that? So I'm praying and I'm saying, God, what are you doing in this moment? Saying, what I want you to tell him is, for the next four weeks, every time you take a shower and a bath, every time you take your pants off, I want you to look at it expecting it to shrink. I want you not to look to, because what we do with our problems is usually we look to see if it's getting bigger instead of expecting God's grace to make it smaller. Four weeks later, he had to go to the doctor's appointment to have the leg amputated. When they showed up, there was nothing. Nothing. That's God's grace. I'm going to finish with one last story, if that's okay. Two minutes. It's going to be, and we're going to go over. Okay. His, his name is Joshua Milton Blahai. Now, man, this guy's life story. In 2008, he's in Liberia. He's called General Butt Naked. You should Google his story. So, so Liberia had these, they had these, these, these wars, these guerrilla wars that was going on within the, within the nation. And um, generals would get young men to fight with them. And they would attract all these soldiers to fight with them. And this general butt naked, um, he became famous because all his warriors and himself would fight naked. So there were other generals also. There were like General Usana, and there was General Hitler, and there was General Mussolini. There were all these, these big general names to attract people to them so that they can be stronger, gathering people to, to show strength. So General Butt Naked, um, <laughs> all his soldiers fought naked. But here's the thing about this man. Before every fight, before they would go out, they would bring a child under the age of five into the group. They would cut their back open from the top to the bottom. They would take out the heart. They would cut it into pieces. They would distribute it to all the warriors. Every eat, everybody eats a piece of the heart because they believe by doing that, they become um, invisible to the bullets. And then they would go into battle and they would kill people. This guy killed over 20,000 people himself. I want to show you how unfair our God is. So, they just killed a five-year-old boy. They take the blood, they drink it, they drench it, they're on their way to go kill more people. In his pursuit, running naked through the fields with a semi-automatic weapon in his hand, he hears a voice behind him. And he turns around, and Jesus Christ stands with, this, the, with the radiant light shining. 
And he's saying to him, why are you a slave? He said, I've called you to be a king. Stop what you're doing. Because it's leading toward death. And he said, I'm a general. I'm a general. He said, but you're a slave. And what you're doing is leading towards death. And in that moment, for the first time he said, I feared death. And I turned my life around completely. I never killed another person. I went back, repented in front of God, and he's now leading one of the greatest churches in Liberia. Listen, that's how unfair our God is. Which means it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from his incredible, jaw-dropping, eye-popping, lavishing grace. There's businessmen here, businesswomen, people who are owning their own businesses, running their own business. I want you to know God's grace is available for your business in this time. Where the world are going to look at you and go, that is unfair. The favor that you've received is unfair. There are marriages, yeah, thank you. That's usually my cue. In, in. It's like when my keyboard player is like, okay, I've had enough. <laughs> thank you for coming up. Marriages. Marriages. Man, I'm so passionate about marriage. I believe healthy marriages create healthy homes. Healthy homes create healthy churches. Healthy churches create healthy communities. Healthy communities create healthy provinces. Healthy provinces create healthy countries. I'm passionate about marriage. God's grace is there for every single one of you, no matter where your relationship is right now, no matter what mistakes you have made, no matter what mistakes you've made in the past or might be in right now, God's grace is more than enough to cover it. Not just cover it, to bring an outcome where you can be one that ministers to others regarding God's unmerited favor in your relationship. God's grace is there for you. But you have to sit and say, God, I want to be in your perfect will. I want to be where you've called me to be. God will not pour His grace over your opinions. He pours it over His Word. He pours it over His Word. His Word says, husbands, love your wives. His Word said, wives... Respect and honor your husbands. You get those things in alignment. Oh man, you're going to see God's grace and favor poured over you. Finances. Man, I love a life of giving. I love giving. It is a principle that I stand on. I believe that you cannot harvest where you have not sown. If you want to be blessed in your finances, see God's undeserved favor in your finances. You have to do His revealed will. His revealed will is what He's shown you in His Word. He's shown you that you have to sow. This ministry of Joel and Jamie, 
this Impact Life TV, I hope that you guys are going to sow into that. We as a church will sow into Joel. I believe in his ministry. I hope that you will sow into it because it's good soil. He's not building Joel and Jamie. He's building God's kingdom. Children, parents, parents, please hear me. There are principles regarding parenting. You are not the best friend. You are the parent. Which means that you have a responsibility over your children. You check their Instagram. You check their Snapchat and their Facebook. They don't do Facebook because that's old people. But you... (laughs) I got Facebook. Uh, But you are accountable, parents. In my house, and you know house don't have to be like this. I only have one place of privacy, the toilet. (laughs) Besides that, there is no privacy in our house. Because if there's anything that I have to keep secret from anybody in my home, it means I probably shouldn't be doing it. So in our house, we have an open policy on everything, everybody's devices, everywhere. Because I've got nothing to hide. Parents, parent your children. If you want to have blessed a blessed home where you can sit around a table and your family is honoring and serving God, apply God's revealed will and you will see His unmerited favor poured out over your home. Those of you desiring healing, desiring to, to, to have a healthy body, there are principles which we have to apply. You have to do something just in the physical You have a responsibility for your body. This is the temple of God. Like I'm walking around with Him in me. You know why there is healing in this world? Because God put a program in place for His body so that we can advance His Word. And it's called healing. But you have a responsibility in it. And you have to take it up. So I want to pray for healing this morning. Is that okay? Okay, so, so I want to ask anybody um, right now, um, I want to say it, it's almost like a, a burden on your shoulders. It's like a, a extreme between neck and shoulders. Um, there's, a, there's a real tension. Um, like you, you actually have pain struggling to, to turn your head from side to side. Um, if that's you, will you please stand up? Fantastic. Not fantastic that you have.